This is Judges 9. So it's, it's a little long. Uh, then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbabel Jerubbabel reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave to him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-bereth, at which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went into his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the seventy sons of Jerubbabel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left because he hid himself. And the men of Shechem gathered together, and the men of and the Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree and the pillar that was Shechem. Now, when they told Jotham that he went and stood on top of Mount Geriz- Gerizim. And led, lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint the king over them. And they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil, with which they honor God and men, and go sway over trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, And you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and good fruit, and go sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt with Jerubbabel and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, but you have risen up against my father's house this day, and killed his seventy sons on the stone, on one stone, and he made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. If you then have acted in both truth and sincerity with Jerubbabel and his, with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come from the men of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech his brother. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent him a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the seventy sons of Jerubbabel might be settled, and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who aided him in killing his brothers. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told Abimelech. Now Gael, son of Abed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out to the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them them and made merry. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gael, son of Abed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbabel? Is Is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor and the father of Shechem. But 
Why should we serve him? If only the people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, son of Ebed, his anger was aroused, and he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note, Gael, son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are, fortifying the city against you. Now therefore, get up by night, and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night, and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. When Gael son of Ebed went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, the people are coming down from the mountains. But Zebul said to him, You are seeing shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So Gael spoke again and said, See, the people are coming down from the center of the land, and another company is coming from the diviner's tabernacle tree. Then Zebul said to them, Where indeed is your mouth now, in which you said, Who is Abimelech, what that we should serve him? Are, the, are not these people whom you despised? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So Gael went out, and leading the men of Shechem, and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt in Aramah, and Zebul drove out Gael and his brothers, so that they would not dwell in Shechem. And it came out the next, and it came about on the next day that the people were out in the field, and they told Abimelech. So he took his people and divided them into three companies, and laid them in wait in the field. He looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward, and they stood at the entrance to the gate, and rushed upon those who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought at the city and killed, fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, he entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Bareth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman and he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe out of his hand and cut down the bough from the trees. And he took it and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the people who were with him, What have you seen me do? Make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech and put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and the men and women and all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. He drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to a young man as his armor-bearer and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men save me, a woman killed me. So his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed him, every man to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his seventy brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned to their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. A very long reading. Did a great job. Thank you. Uh, youth, you are dismissed. So as we um, talk about this today, I found a, a song this morning, which I'm going to use as a prayer for us as we listen to these words today. 
So I will pray this. Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world, they resound with God's own heart. Let the ancient words impart. Words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope in this world where we roam. Ancient world, ancient, these ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come, O oh Lord, with open hearts. Let the ancient words impart in us. Holy words of our faith, handed down from this age, came to us through sacrifice, or heed the faithful words of Christ. Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world, they resound with God's own heart, or let the ancient words impart. Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come, O oh Lord, with open hearts. Let your ancient word impart. Amen. So we're, gonna, we're going on in the book of Judges, and um, it's a very long story, um, a story of a man that had different choices from what God had for the nation of Israel and for the people of Israel, and a story of a people that took different choices from what God had. And so my title today is derived from a quotation, so I'm going to start very heavy anyway, because it's a heavy one, a quotation um, that was um, said by William Penn, one of the Quakers, um, the father of the province of Pennsylvania. He said, if we are not ruled by God, we will be ruled by tyrants. And I know it's a hard start, but this is where we are in the book of Judges. When God is not king, then tyrants run the show. When we choose to be led by, to, to, to forsake being led by God, then we embrace and we choose to be oppressed by tyrants. And we see that in this book. So how do you feel when, when people who are tyrants or when wicked people are prevailing? It feels sad to me. I wonder how it feels to you. When people who are self-seeking when people who, are, even politicians, who are gaining more power and wanting more power from self-seeking ways, that should, that should be hard for us as the church. But I'm saying it has become very easy for us as the church. And as I look at this story, I see a picture of where we are. Of where we are. Not only as a church in America, but as a church in the world of where we are as a world watching how many tyrants are running amok and how many of those tyrants that are running amok are supported by the church. The rise of power of this man, his name means my father is king. Pastor Ryan spoke um, when he spoke about his father that his father had said, I don't want to be king. But he had done it in a way that was really not very sincere. We saw that last week, am I right? And then, but then he went and, anointed and gave his son 
um, from his concubine, my, the name my father is king. I wonder if that name is what made Abimelech feel like he wants to rule. I wonder if he interpreted his name as a claim to ruling. The Bible tells us that he's an unprincipled man. The Bible tells us that he's an, a very ambitious ruler often at war with his own people, with his subjects. Cruel, a real tyrant. We see him here, he says, my father is king, and he says, I, then I inherit the kingdom from my father. And he, he, he makes a way to try and get to inherit the kingdom. But remember this, the problem here is this time is that God had not, God had not instituted kingship. Or hereditary leadership, where the son of so and so who was a leader becomes a son. That was not the issue. We have not seen that in the book of Judges so far. We have seen that cycle and we have seen God raise different people at different times, but we have not seen a situation where God is raising somebody's son or daughter to take over. So he comes and he says, because he, when he mentions what he needs to do, and he says to them, uh, I wonder if you want to be ruled by this seventy or ruled by me. In his mind, he has, they can be ruled by seventy, they can be ruled by me and, or nobody else. He doesn't realize that God is the king of Israel. He doesn't recognize the rulership of God in Israel. So he starts by, in a place where he's thinking for himself, that it's either me or it's the other, my other brothers, or nobody else. Then he eliminates the enemy. And then we see him, he goes and he asks um, his king's men, his family, his relatives, and says, hey, I'm here, I'm, I'm your guy. And they give him money. It says they gave him money from the temple of Baal Bereth. His work and his kingdom is built is built on money that is not even from the God of Israel. It's corrupt already from the onset. He's a corrupt man. He's taking this corrupt money with him. But also not only the money that he's receiving, but also he goes to his relatives and tells them, I am your relative. I am one of yours. They give him this startup money to establish this leadership. This is money that he uses to hire worthless men and kills all his brothers on one stone. He gets money from the leadership from that treasury of Baal. The name Baal Berith means the Lord of the Covenant. We know that the covenant, the Lord of the Covenant was Jehovah. But then this was a counterfeit. The Lord of the Covenant, Baal, Baal uh, Berith, was a, a counterfeit. He was not the real thing. The devil takes what God has and makes a counterfeit of it. And most of, and sometimes we are taken by just these counterfeit things. The promise here was between Jehovah and Abraham. That's what the covenant was. That they knew. But they fell into this trap of going on 
And then they found themselves worshipping a counterfeit God. The, the, the idea of a king, when he comes and says to them, I'm your brother, make me a king, and they go and they anoint him, worries me because when his brother comes and he tells this parable and warns them, it, it's like, a, a, fore, it's like a, a foresight to what happens when Israel says to Samuel, give us a king. I, I want to read this so you understand where I'm going. First Samuel chapter 8. From verse 10, this is when Israel demands a king. So Samuel told the words of the Lord to the people and said, who were asking for a king, and said to them, this is the behavior of the king who is going to reign over you. Listen carefully to this. He will take your sons and appoint them on his own chariots to be his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some will make weapons for war and equip his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers and he will take the best of your field, of your vineyards, of your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. He will take the male servants and the female servants of yours, your finest young men and women, and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of the sheep and give it to himself. And you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear in that day. Listen to verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we may be like all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go before, out before us and fight our battles. Same picture here. Same story. Israel is grasping for a king. And Samuel says, these are the things that will come with this king of yours that you want to anoint. And they are willing to sell themselves and sell their children and sell everything for this king so that they can be like other nations. We are a peculiar nation. We are different people. Why do we want to be like other nations? Why do we like to be like the world? Why is there no difference between us and the world? If the world is going on about things and politics and all those things, it's happening as well in the church. Why? Why should we be like the world? If God is not king over us, tyrants will rule over us. Then another thing that we see here, Abimelech tells them, I am your brother. And they are inclined to follow him because he says, I am your brother. How many times have we chosen to follow people, chosen to take things because they are one of us? How many times have we heard that? It's the same way that our politicians carry their local state back home because 
is one of us. Are we called to look for one of us? Are we called to look for the man that God has anointed or a woman that God has anointed? We see them here saying because their qualification is that he is one of us. And we see Abimelech going to the city of Shechem. A few things about the city of Shechem that we see. Number one, it's important because God appeared to Abraham concerning the promise, the covenant that Shechem has changed to become Baal's covenant. God appeared there to Abraham. And Shechem is the place where uh, Joseph was buried. Shechem is the place where the covenant was renewed with Israel in Joshua when he stood and said to them, choose today whom you shall serve. Shechem is the place where Joshua had challenged the people over and over again about what God has called them to do, the importance of following God. But this place has become a place of sadness at this point. A place of turning away from all that. Abimelech is also a man of great pride and vanity. Thinks very highly of himself. He's at a point where he is dying. At death, he even says, kill me so they don't say I was killed by a woman. What pride, what vanity. Some of us are concerned about things of the earth, even at the point of our death. And not worried or even thinking about eternity. What are you concerned about? What are you more concerned about? What people will say, like Abimelech, people will say I was killed by a woman. What are we concerned about? What am I concerned about? My appearance and what people will think of me? Or I'm concerned about what does God think of me? I'm sorry, I know this is a hard one, but we need to hear it. And then I want us to look at Jotham's warning here. He goes on top of these mountains and he says these things. He tells them about the story and all that. First to think about these two mountains are very important mountains because one is a mountain of blessing. The other one is a mountain of cursing. Gerizim is a place of blessing. If Israel had obeyed God when, um, when Jotham stood there and spoke, that mountain would have continued to be that mount of blessing. But they did not obey. They chose not to obey. obey. That blessing turned into a curse. It's the same mountain that the Samaritans eventually would say, this is our home. And then the story there, he goes on and he speaks about these trees. And somebody in our group on, on Tuesday made a mention of, I wonder what these trees mean. And I thought it would be interesting to look at those. So I did do a little bit of searching on those. The first tree he speaks about is the olive tree. He says the olive tree, they came to the olive tree, and the olive tree is a symbol of reconciliation. It's a symbol of beauty and abundance in the Bible. They forsook reconciliation. Has our country forsaken reconciliation and learning to hear each other without shouting and screaming and looking like hooligans? Has the church forgotten reconciliation that we scratch each other and bite each other? Paul says, be careful that you don't consume one another. Is that where we are at? 
They forsook the olive tree, said, no. They went to the fig tree. The fig tree is symbolic of Israel itself and it symbolizes health of a nation and spiritual and physical health. Health of a nation, health, the, the heartbeat of a nation, the, the spiritual health as well of a nation. Where are we today? And the fig tree as well, as I know. They, they went to the grape tree, the grapevine. Jesus speaks about the vine a lot. I am the vine, you are the branches. The vine portrays what is lovingly tended for by God, being taken care of by God. He's the vine dresser. And then eventually producing bountiful crop. It's a symbol of God's care. Have we trusted in God's care or are we trusting in our own ability to gather, in our own ability to gather those who are like us? Have we forsaken the, provision, the, prov, the providential care of God because we are worried about gathering for us, for me? Then the last tree, the second from last tree that is mentioned in that is the brabble bush, which is your thorn bush. And the thorn bush says to them, um, come, I will Come, if you come to me, I'll have a shelter for you. What shelter does a thorn bush have? What shelter does it have? Nothing. The thorn bush has got great points at the end that will prick you, but no substance at all. The thorns, when you read in Isaiah 40, 34, 13, it says, And all the thorns shall come up in her places, nettles and brabbles, and the fortress thereof, and they shall be in habitations of dragons and cots for owls. It's God cursing. And when he curses the land, he uses the thorn. Luke 6, 44, For every tree that is known is known by its fruit. For of the thorns, men cannot gather figs. They cannot gather health from the thorns. Or can they gather grapes? Care and abundance from the Lord from the thorns. But what the thorns do is they consume. The thorn says to them, I will consume. Let the fire come out of me and consume. Consume the cedars of Lebanon. And when we talk about the cedars of Lebanon, there are a few things that we need to pick up there. Number one is that they have firm roots. They can grow up to 120 feet, most probably 10 to 12 story building, kind of like they are really huge. And they are known to be trees for kings. So they are known to be these majestic trees. And so there is a thing here. When you think about the, the, the cedars of Lebanon, think about their roots. These cedars of Lebanon are known to be the, these big majestic trees, these useful trees, these expensive trees, these trees that are used to build temples and palaces. We are building up a temple. We are the temple of the Lord. We as the church are the body and building up this temple. We are, we are part of that building. And so these trees represent us when we are in the place where we need to be at. 
When we were in the place where we need, where we, we are spiritually reformed, when there is spiritual formation that is going on in our lives and we are growing, we have firm roots in what God has called us to be. We are not weavering around like the people of Shechem. We know what the covenant, what the word of God says. They knew in Deuteronomy 17, or is it 17 or 7, God had spoken about what it looks like to have a king, what kind of a king Israel would have. And he did not qualify. But because they did not have roots, they were swung to and from and made decisions based on, oh, he's our relative, he's our friend. Firm roots, church. We are called to firm roots. Firm roots in scripture. And then secondly, it speaks of becoming snow uh, as white as snow. Lebanon simply means white. Whiteness, because it's, it's got these mountains that are kept with snow. And in these mountains that are kept with snows, that's where these trees grow apparently. Purity in heart and in mind. To be a city on a hill. That's what we are called to be. We will only shine. A diamond shines when it's pure and clean. Can we shine for Jesus and be a city on a hill? Another thing is that they're excellent for building material. That wood apparently is perfumed. It smells different. It doesn't have knots usually. So it's used for building this Great places. What are we building? What are we building? Are we building it for God? Are we building it for ourselves, our children, our kingdoms, ourselves? The last thing there is growth despite the surroundings. They grow even in snow. They grow even in hard times, in hard places. They grow tall and big. They grow all year round. They grow even in winter. That is what God is calling us to be. To grow in him despite what is happening around us. We don't need to control and have power on what is happening around us to grow. We need Jesus. We need our roots to be planted in him. Psalm 92 says, The righteous shall flourish like a tree, like a palm tree. He shall grow and be like a cedar of Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God, and they shall bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing. That's what we are called to do. But when we focus on these other things that include self and others, we, 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 start, to, we start to fail in what we are called to do. So these thorns take over would take over these cedars of Lebanon. What are the thorns that have taken over our spiritual formation? Being like Jesus. We are called. That's the basic call for every believer is to be more and more like Christ. What are the thorns that have taken over? And in this case, we see the thorn of politics had taken over. A thorn of favoritism because of friendship and being together has taken over. The people fail to listen to this saying. This was hard for me this week because as I was working on this this week, we all know that Russia in, invaded Ukraine. And it broke my heart. And it even broke my heart more to hear some of our leaders that we trust and follow say they support that. That broke my heart. 
That's tyrant. We are saying we support a tyrant? Is that who we have turned to be? Lord, have mercy on us. And then we hear, then they, they got, let me move on, because I'm going to be staying here for quite some time. They, they, they get on, and they, 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 the people then find this guy called Gal, and they, they follow him. So he loses, this king, this fake king, loses the confidence of the people. And when they lose the confidence in him, they follow this other man called uh, Gal. And Gal stands for loathing, hate. That's what the name means. It's loathing. Yes, we will love our tyrants until a time where they are really doing what the tyrants do and then we'll loathe them. So be careful. Watch out. And God, in this case, allows the people to deal with the consequences of their actions. He doesn't jump in and, and stop everything. He lets them feel the consequences of their actions. Sometimes God is forgiving. God is kind. But God is just. And he'll forgive us, yes. But we need to face some of the consequences of our actions. And the people face, even the king and the people face the consequences of their actions. It takes years before God jumps in. And then they, the funny thing is, then they run and go and hide in this, in this temple where they took the money that started him off. They go and hide in it. This, this is the vileness of evil. Evil unraveling itself. They go and hide in that temple hoping that they will be safe because this is where the startup came from. And he comes and he bends it down. They start to consume one another now. Evil is consuming evil. It's unraveling itself. And we see him when he doesn't, when this king, people don't agree with him, he, he, makes, he makes a big hoo-ha of it. He makes, a, he makes himself, he, he doesn't know how to respond well. A character, the test of character of a man is to see how he treats those people that he disagrees with. When you disagree with somebody, that's where the real test of your character comes out. If the people that you, you disagree with, your hope and your joy is that they be destroyed, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. That's your character. That's the Bramble character. We are able to see again that God is just. And we see that sometimes we feel that evil is going forever, but it won't rule forever. God is faithful. God is just. He is a just God. And he will come and make things right. We see that in this story. But in that, that is what helps us not to be people who are anxious to revenge ourselves. This king here, his life is about revenging for himself. Romans 12, 1921 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, rather... Give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Another thing that we see here is that there is a, the source of trouble here is that one person, self-ambitions. Selfish ambition can destroy us. Selfish ambition is not what we need to look for and look at. Look at the damage that self-ambition causes. Abimelech wipes out his whole family. He kills thousands in Shechem. He does all these things to maintain power. He's not concerned about harming, that there is harm to everybody else. He's just concerned about himself. And this fulfills scripture. James 3.16 says, For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice of even burning each other. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. God tells us and shows us the right way to fight when we see situations that are hard. It's to humble ourselves just like Christ did. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming out in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has exalted him highly and given him a name above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of the Father. From being humble, not seeking to fulfill myself. That's what we are called to look at. That's the example we are given. The counterfeit of the gospel is grabbing for power. Jesus did not grab for power. Could have called down fire from heaven. Could have had legions of angels coming to fight for him, but he did not grab for power. He suffered to the point of death on the cross. When Jesus calls us, I'm doing this study with some of my youth as we do discipleship. When Jesus calls us, he calls his disciples, he says, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And when he says, follow me, we need to understand what that means. That means die to some of the things that for you, you have for yourself. They leave their fishing, they leave their fathers and mothers, they leave their families, and they follow Jesus. They forsake everything else, and they follow him. They don't grab for power. What are you grabbing for? Another thing that we need to realize is that power, power, absolute power corrupts. The lure of obtaining power turns men into beasts. We don't think like humans anymore. We don't see others like humans anymore. When we are grabbing for power. Abimelech did not see these people as God's precious people. When he was grabbing for power. We are called to die from grabbing power. We are called to humility. We are called to the path of the cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. Not pick up your throne and follow me. Not pick up your authority and follow me. Not pick up uh, your, your power and follow me. It's pick up your cross, the object of shame and death, and follow me. 
It's what we are called to do. Death to ourselves. If we exalt ourselves, we'll be pulled down. Another thing that happens here is that there is an unexpected deliverer. A woman is the unexpected deliverer. We've seen this, that cycle that we speak about every Sunday as we are speaking about this. I didn't put the cycle up today. But the cycle comes that, in this case, another woman. We heard about Deborah. But there is another woman who brings victory. And unexpected and crushes him on the head. Where the crown needs to be. Crushes with the stone. And he killed his brothers on the stone. And he's crushed by a stone. Jesus came as an unexpected hero, an unexpected deliverer, because they expected him to be some of Israel. The reason why they didn't accept him, they expected him to come and charge and fight the Romans and kick them out. But no, very unexpected, but so much impact. David was not the expected king. When Samuel came to anoint, they said, he brought all his sons and he said, yeah, I'm done. They're not. And he's like, are you sure there is not one other son? And that was David. Unexpected. And so this week as I, was re- as I was praying and thinking and listening to people and hearing, I was at a meeting and somebody said, two meetings actually, people said two important things that I put together as my last point that were really important to me as I was listening to the scripture and I was reading the scripture and preparing for today. Number one was Pastor Sh- uh, Sishu, I think. He said, stop thinking politically, start thinking biblically. Stop thinking politically. And this is true for me, too, and for you, I hope. We need to stop thinking everything through the filter of politics. Let's think things through the filter of what God's word says. If God does not rule us, tyrants will rule us. It's a warning for us, church. The more we continue to think about things in a way that is very politically minded and not spiritually minded, we have lost the plot. It doesn't mean that we do not need to be part of politics. We need to. But when we engage politics, we engage it with a biblical worldview. We engage politics looking at what does God say? What is it that he wants from us? And how can we glorify him? Also, somebody else in our meeting later during the day when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about the scripture said something which was very important to me too, is that be careful of making choices guided by the shiny wrapping paper on the outside. It's very easy to make choices because we see this shiny wrapping paper on the outside. Find out what's inside before you're excited about the outside. In our leaders, find what is inside before you look at what you see on the outside. In our, in our choices that we make about things. And, and, and I know this, this sermon today has a lot to do with leadership because we are talking about Abimelech who was a leader here. And so I, I'm going to point back to leadership. That the people that we choose to lead us, we need to be careful that they are not just chosen because there is this wrapping paper that is shiny. Whether the wrapping paper is that he's one of us or whether the wrapping paper that she has um, money or she can do this or she promised this. I want us to look at what is the inside of it. 
is there substance or it's just points like the rubble, like the bumble without substance inside? And I ask you, you and me, as we're thinking about life, as we're thinking even about elections coming up soon, the midterms, what are we thinking? Are we thinking politically or biblically? Are we looking at the shiny wrapping paper or are we looking for the real thing that God is calling us to be? Again, I repeat, if we are not ruled by God, we will be ruled by tyrants. A few things to think about as we pray. If you want, you can close your eyes. It's time to just reflect and think and pray over these things. I've got four things to think about. The first one is where in your life, where in my life, where have we been the people of Shechem? Those who chose to follow the counterfeit in our walk with Jesus. His call is follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. What are the counterfeits that we have picked up? Is it prosperity? Is it politics? Is it self-preservation? No, he says, follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. That's the call. Number two, where have we been attracted by the shiny wrapping paper and sold ourselves to politicians because he is one of our kind, he's one of us, and forsaken the covenant of the Lord in the process? Have we thought politically or have we thought biblically? Should be sold out for Jesus and not sold out for anything else. Not sold out for some principles, sold out for Jesus and his kingdom. Number three, where in our lives is God calling us to be Jotham and to stand up to an Abimelech? Where is he calling us to stand up to the tyrant? What might frighten you about this assignment? Remember, he said, I am with you. Lord, to the end of the world, I am with you. Are you willing to fall away his calling you, even if it means loss of power, influence, privilege, or even your life? Are you willing to follow? Am I willing to follow? The last one. Oh, sorry, one more. I've got five instead of four. In your life... When has, God has, when has God brought an unexpected deliverance? Have you been aware of the times where God has brought something that is unexpected to be the deliverance for you, as it did for the people of Tabez? From what enemy do you need to be delivered from today? How can you involve your small group in that? How can you involve your community in that, in walking with you through that deliverance? How can you involve your church to walk with you through that? And the last one. In your life, what areas of self-ambition, self-preservation, self-interest, self-advancement at all costs do you need the Lord to deal with today? Where does he need to bring humility, spiritual formation to the image of Christ in your life today? If we are not ruled by God, we will be ruled by tyrants. God bless you.